1: Drives, lobs it in, Hunter for a slam dunk. Six to two, Longhorn, six unanswered. Nine to shoot. Timmy driving baseline on McCullough. Double team, got to get rid of it. Dust underneath Bishop. Had it knocked out of his hands. Going up, got it back. And then a three pointer. Four is good. Arterio knocks it down on the broken play. Timeout, Kansas. Wilson between the circles, trying to drive on Allen. Puts his head down, then had the ball knocked out of his hands. Scooped up by Tyrese Hunter. Here's Tyrese trying to go coast to coast. Dropped it to the cutter underneath. Allen, it's good and he's fouled! Great balance by Timmy Allen. What a pass back by Tyrese Hunter. The bucket and a free throw to come into the front court. Allen dribbling. Drops it back behind. Hunter for three. Good! Tyrese knocks it down. Longhorns have their largest lead of the day. Their first double-digit advantage. 25-14. Carr being guarded by Ernest Nude. Bounce pass. Are out the hunter wants another three, has another three. Back-to-back three pointers by Tyrese Hunter. Texas, its largest lead of the ball game, up 12. Timeout Kansas. The right wing looking into the paint car with a bounce pass to christian bishop he's working on the smaller kevin mcculler trying to body up with him goes up strong against him and scores with the left hand 11 out to hunter into the corner rice takes a dribble shoots a three makes the three how about that he dribbled it seven it, nailed it texas up 14 with four minutes to go to jabari rice seven to shoot rice against grady dick gonna drive on him spins turns the fadeaway good a la Dirk Nowitzki, the step back fadeaway. Marcus Carr, a senior with a big smile on his face, and why not? What an afternoon he's having. Six on the shot clock, now the Hunter. Tyrese, three to shoot, driving on Harris, puts it up, missed it, follow slam there by Dylan DeSue, an exclamation point. And that's going to do it. Longhorn to inbound the ball, left the celebration begin. We'll see it in Kansas City at six o'clock next Thursday night. The Texas Longhorns authoritatively take down the third-ranked team, the defending national champions, the current Big 12 Conference champions. They dominate this one and win it. Final score this afternoon from Moody Center in Austin, the Texas Longhorns 75, the Kansas Jayhawks 59. Well, and with that, an emphatic end of the regular season for uh, the Longhorn men's basketball team, finishing as the number two uh, overall seed in the Big 12 Conference Tournament. They finished in sole possession of second place in the Big 12 Conference standings, and the Longhorns now get ready for the Big 12 Conference Tournament beginning on actually begins on Wednesday. Longhorns won't play until Thursday since they're not in the play-in contest of uh, Wednesday night in Kansas City. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Wade. Jeff Howe is uh, down on campus with the uh, first Longhorn football spring practice underway this morning and then uh, Steve Sarkeesian doing a media availability Jeff will join us a little bit later on in the program Cameron Parker our regular producer is attending to some other station business that he's working on right now so we're pleased to have happy Jack Farrell with us today how you doing Jack I'm doing well, Craig. How are you? Good, good. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of a, not to have any pun or play on words, jack of all trades. You do a lot of different things for us here. And and, and so I'm just wondering how it works for you when you step into one role like this and then you're going to be like the engineer on site for our final seasonal edition of Longhorn Weekly with Vic Schaefer, special basketball edition, uh, this evening at 6:30 which by the way will be heard on 1053 the bat so you do that and then they and then what the, the promotions and and the other people at the station have a variety of other duties for you as well don't they
0: I've been off the remotes a little bit more which I do appreciate that's one less thing that I have to do but yeah um a lot a lot to do a lot of a lot of different hats that I wear it's nice it it makes me a little bit more indispensable so I always have work which is the best part but the the hardest thing about it is every uh, studio that we have in here, the AM studio, this studio, and the 105.3 studio has a slightly different setup, and uh, that can be confusing. But otherwise, it's a lot of fun, and I'm happy to do it. Happy to be the the jack-of-all-trades, to use the the same pun.
1: Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, I knew there was a lot of different things involved in that. And um, I should point out uh, also... um, Put in that, You uh, don't you kind of do like uh Cam Parker as well aren't you also involved in uh in uh, some of the some high school uh broadcast, telecast, webcast, streamcast things of that nature.
0: Yes sir, I've been working at uh formerly KMAX Sports um and Vibe Media now, but I remember Cameron and I we went to San Antonio like my freshman year of college to do some uh, NFHS playoff games, but lately I've been the the voice of the Anderson Trojans basketball team. So that's been my gig for the last three, four seasons. And
1: they had a nice one. I mean pulled very surprised, got in the playoffs. And you know. they,
0: they started I think one and five in yeah. district and then yeah. ended nine and eight, had that play in game against Dripping Springs over here at Westlake to get in, and then they ran into that Stony Point juggernaut, which isn't slowing down for too many people. True,
1: true, absolutely. Okay. Um so among the things that we're going to get to on the program today uh, We're going to hear from Sir Jabari Rice. We're going to hear from uh, Rodney Terry following the Longhorns win over the Kansas Jayhawks on Saturday uh, afternoon. And uh, we'll kind of set it up for you, the Big 12 Conference tournaments, both for the men and the women. Obviously, massive shout-out and congratulations to Vic Schaefer and the Texas women's basketball team. It's the first Big 12 Conference title uh, in the regular season won by the Longhorns in 19 years. Last time it happened was 2004. That's when uh, Jody Conrad had the back-to-back Big 12 women's regular season champions. In 03, they were outright Big 12 champs and won the conference tournament. In 2004, they shared the title with Kansas State Uh, They were the number one seed, but then lost in the Big 12 tournament championship game to Oklahoma. Oklahoma was the sixth seed that year, and it was the first time on either the men's or women's side that a team won four games on four consecutive days to win the conference tournament. That still has not happened on the men's side. They've never had a team go through and pull what Syracuse and UConn did in, in, uh, in the past, in the Big East, winning five straight games. Um, that's, that's happened before, uh, but it has not happened in the big 12 conference tournament. It, um, uh, speaking of which, uh, it was a really good run for Texas state, uh, the Bobcats in the, uh, Sun Sunbelt tournament. They won three games to get to the semifinals and then lost a tough one to the number two seed, Louisiana last night. Had they won, they would have won four straight to get to the conference tournament final tonight, but they didn't, they get, they got knocked out in the semifinal, by Louisiana. So their season has concluded. The Texas State women are in the conference tournament final. They were the number two seed co-champs of the regular season with James Madison and both have won a couple of games to get to the final. And so they play this afternoon at one o'clock for, uh, to get, as the old saying goes, to get the ticket punched to the big dance. So Texas State has an opportunity to get there on the women's side. But the Texas women the Longhorn women have won the regular season. They are the number one seed. They shared the regular season title with Oklahoma. Uh, both teams wound up 14-4 in conference play. But Texas, of course, swept OU during the course of the regular season. And So that's why the Longhorns draw the number one seed. They will not see action until Friday afternoon at 1.30, and that will be at a Historic Municipal Auditorium. In Kansas City, the men play. Both teams play downtown. The men are in the um, Power and Light District, uh, just down the street from the main heart of downtown, where where uh, Municipal Auditorium is. And the men are are playing in uh, at the T-Mobile Center, and that'll be Thursday. And Texas will play Thursday evening at six o'clock. They will play the winner of the Wednesday night game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So a little bit of bedlam there to decide who will draw the Longhorns in the quarterfinal round. But we'll run down all the bracketing and the stuff for that, and we've got bracketology to get to. So, yeah, there's some bracketological prognostications that we have to sift through as well, not only from uh, Joe Leonard, at ESPN, but uh, also Jerry Palm uh, from CBS Sports. So we've got that to sort through uh, as well, and on the national scene as well for some of that. Longhorn baseball, uh, Texas drops two out of three over the weekend at Cal State Fullerton. And that's one of those weekends that I'm sure David Pierce and staff look back at that and see how close they were where it could have been a sweep of all three. Certainly win two out of three, but ended up losing two out of three. They had a 5-1 to lead on Friday night and had uh, several things kind of go off the rails for them. Some of it was bullpen related, but not all of it. Uh, there was a fly ball. Uh, that Porter Brown, had he been able to reach, would have ended the inning with Texas, I think, still up 5-3 at the time. And it had been damp and slick, and his feet went right out from under, uh, on the grass, and the ball went over his head, and so two runs scored on that. And uh, Fullerton got a great bullpen effort, and they won that one. Texas came back and won Saturday's game 4-2. And then yesterday, Texas spotted Fullerton, a 3 to nothing lead, came back, Had a big home run by Jack O'Dowd in the ninth inning to tie the score and uh, had a chance to go ahead, couldn't do it, and then in the 10th took the lead, could not hold it, and then in the 11th, Fullerton found a way to win in the 11th inning there. So uh, tough losses there for them. So they wind up uh, dropping two of three there. They're back at home to begin a 14-game homestand. Uh, Nothing like – being able to sleep in your own bed and all that sort of stuff. So that's what they're going to be um, doing over the next fortnight. 14 games at home. It's really over spread out over two, uh, two calendar weeks. And it will start with Sam Houston tomorrow night, and then they have Mercer on Wednesday night. then following a day off, Manhattan comes to town for a weekend. Do you know the mascot of? Manhattan College in New York there, Jack.
0: Is it uh, any alliteration? Is it a? It is not. It's not an alliterative name. (laughs) I'm not going to get
1: it. It's the Jaspers.
0: What is that?
1: Is it a tree? No, no. It it goes back to the 1800s. It's like a dude. You know, it's kind of like a... Like the Mets? Yeah, yeah, kind of like that, you know. Uh, uh, The Mets, of course, being short for Metropolitans, but the Jaspers, you know, like they're... Log had had like a top hat and you know and I think tails and stuff like that. So anyway, it's the Jaspers. Uh, they play this weekend, so uh, they've got an extended homestand going on. Texas softball's on a roll; they've won nine in a row. Uh, they continue play this week as well. Uh, so there's there's a lot to get to here on the program, and as well as always, we certainly invite your. Uh, your thoughts, your questions, your comments on the Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six. That's 512-337-3776. Um, I was asked, do you ever get a chance to go to the college basketball experience down there in Kansas City, or is your schedule too tight? Also, your favorite Kansas City barbecue joint. <laughs> it's almost like asking somebody their favorite child. Uh, first of all, I have been in the uh, the uh, college basketball experience before, and the College Basketball Hall of Fame. Not during the Big Twelve tournament because my my schedule does get pretty pretty tight, especially when I'm calling both men's and women's games. Unfortunately, it's easier for me this year because the women being a one seed and the men being two seed, the start times of their games are really going to be staggered, so that I can do both the men's and women's games without any real issue uh, that in terms of time. For example, uh, the men play – third. the women's tournament doesn't begin till Friday anyway. And the men begin on Wednesday, but Texas' first game is Thursday. They play Thursday night at 6. If they win that, they play in the semifinals on Friday night at 8.30. The women begin Friday afternoon at one thirty, And if they win, they go to the semifinals, they would play at noon On Saturday, the men, if they reach the championship, would tip off at 5. So there's plenty of time there. And then, of course, if the women make the final, that is at 1 o'clock on Sunday. So um, there's, there's enough downtime space there. I've been to the college basketball experience and the college basketball Hall of Fame. Now, I should point this out. I'm glad you brought this up. There is a difference between the college basketball Hall of Fame and the Naismith Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame. The Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame is like the all-encompassing, be-all-end-all Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, That that encompasses professional basketball, collegiate basketball, men's basketball, women's basketball, international basketball. uh, All of that is part of the Naismith Hall of Fame. The College Basketball Hall of Fame is just College basketball, but it's great. It's very interactive. Uh, lots of video things and, and things. I went in it with the Texas men's basketball team before they played in that uh, early season tournament they have in Kansas City. In fact, they play that tournament at the old at the Muni at the old, uh, Municipal Auditorium there where the uh, women's tournament goes on. Uh, and I think the last time I went in it, let's tell you how long ago this was. I think it was two thousand six. Texas was playing in that event. And so the team got there like the day before. And Rick Barnes had the entire team take the tour through it. They got you know, got a tour through it, and I was along there with them and went in for the tour and did all that. And it was really cool uh, to, to see that. And then Texas played in that event, and uh, they beat Iowa, I think, in the semifinals, and then beat West Virginia by, I think, one point in the championship. And who knew that, and this was the 05-06 season, so it would have been late fall 05, that in March of 06, those two teams would meet up again, Texas and West Virginia. Of course, West Virginia was in the Big East at the time. And that would be the famous game where Kevin Pitts-Noggle hits the shot for West Virginia. The Longhorns race down the floor. A.J. Abrams gets a great pass to Kenton Paulino, who buries the three at the buzzer, and the Longhorns win the game. To go to the Elite Eight, they wind up losing in overtime to LSU in the Elite Eight. But uh, memorable moment there for Longhorn basketball as they uh, won that one in the Sweet 16. You were probably too young to remember much of any of that.
0: I I got started in Texas sports pretty early. Did you? My first game was in 2003 when I was three. Okay. Chance Mock was the quarterback. Yeah. But I remember going to the Irwin Center. P.J. Tucker was my favorite player. Yeah. So I definitely remember McNeil legend, AJ Abrams, and
1: Absolutely. all those teams. Yeah, good point. So that so uh but that was the time I went into the C B E. And somebody said didn't uh uh Lamarcus Aldridge get a block shot uh at the end to win that game against West Virginia and Kansas City. He did. Lamarcus had a huge block in that. That perver- I think the final was like seventy one uh to seventy. Uh Victor on the Specs Text Lines. I've been meaning to ask you guys uh I know you had some issues with your opening song Eminence Front by the Who How Y'all Above I don't know of any issues. <laughs> I'm glad y'all are able to still use it. There was some question, yeah, I I remember now what you're talking about, uh Victor. There was there there was a thing uh that accompanied it had to do with licensing and trademarking and stuff. That was several months ago though, but they got it all worked out. So uh so that's why it worked out, ended up working out okay. So so that's Good. Ice Cream Maine mentioned that this was the LSU team that had, yeah, big baby. Glenn Davis was on it. You know, in that uh, Elite Eight game, that regional final game, and that was in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, uh, the thing about that game is uh, in, in um, 06 is that Glenn, I mean, he had a good game. I mean, uh, Glenn Davis had a big baby. He had a big game but not as much as Tyrus Thomas did. Thomas had a monster game, and the Longwoods really struggled with him. And uh, But it did go overtime, and LSU won that contest in overtime to go to the Final Four. Um, and uh, someone said, all that talking to you, have a regimen to keep your voice in place, and if you start feeling a little irritation in throat, what kind of remedies do you do? Um, the uh, it, And probably referring to the fact that this past weekend – I mean, even if you go back a week, uh, there was a Sunday baseball game uh, uh, against Indiana. There was a Monday women's basketball game against Baylor. There was a Tuesday baseball game uh, against LSU. There was a Wednesday basket men's basketball game in Fort Worth at TCU. Uh, there was Longhorn Weekly on Thursday night with Rodney Terry. Uh, I flew to California and did the baseball game Friday night at Cal State Fullerton, Zip back to the airport to catch a red-eye back. And by the way, that turned out to be an adventure. Uh, The the, Traffic, we know L.A. traffic is what it is on the freeways. Even Friday night at 10 o'clock local time at night can be uh, a little bit difficult. But after I dropped off the rental car and got in the shuttle bus, we were stuck in gridlock two blocks from the airport and then in the airport area itself, I finally got off the bus and basically jogged several blocks to the terminal with the backpack on to get there in time. So I had a red-eye flight Friday night, um, I landed Saturday morning, uh, went back to the house and showered and changed, and went to Moody Center and did the men's basketball game. Against Kansas. When that was over, I zipped out in the truck and raced down I 35 to San Antonio and did the UIL Girls 6A state championship Saturday night, uh, the telecast for NFHS. And congratulations to San Antonio Clark or Northside Clark uh, winning its first ever state title, beat two time defending state champion DeSoto in the process. So that was Saturday night. Yesterday was a historic day. (laughs) Yesterday was the first. True day off where I did not have a game or a show to do or travel to or from a game or something. It's the first time I've had a true completely full off day in three months. So um, it was nice. What's,
0: what's the most games you've ever called in a day? I did a basketball tournament where I had three basketball games, and then I had to go be a sideline reporter for Vandergrift. But I imagine that's like, impressive. The, the state football tournament, those days that you do, I imagine you've done, I've done four th- or five games in th- a day. Th-
1: uh, the most I could get done because of the clock. Yeah, the timing of it. Yeah, the most I've ever done, uh, four football games in one day. That's, that is brutal. <laughs> it was four. <laughs> uh, and and three has been more commonplace. But anyway, to the to the texter's question, um, it, it's mainly... Mainly, uh, a lot of preventative maintenance really in season, so to speak, once I start with football. I try not to have much in the way of the caffeinated carbonated sodas because the caffeine can, you know, kind of constrict your vocal cords. Same thing with coffee. You try to try to limit the amount of caffeine intake on that. Try to do I I say try. I quite often do not succeed with that, but I try uh, to do that. And you know i I, I think people have different styles of broadcasting. they do different things and and I think that it's certainly possible to get excited, be excited for the team you're broadcasting for, to be able to transmit the excitement of the moment without blowing a gasket without completely, you know, blowing out the vocal cords and stuff like that. So there's there's some practice over years, I guess, that comes in. And then the other thing is just try to get rest. And and there's times when rest is at a premium, like Friday night. You know, I have learned to sleep on planes, but never for long term. That was a that was a red-eye overnight flight. And I did fall asleep probably mm, three, maybe four times during the course of a, a three-hour-plus flight. You sleep for about 20, 30 minutes and then wake up. And, and and we've all been there, you know, where you doze off and you sleep. And you might even drop into a, a pretty deep sleep. But then you wake up and you do that. So you just try to grab sleep as you can during those busy times. And then when it's not as busy, try to make it up. Like I, yesterday, I hadn't done this. And uh, I give credit to my wonderful wife, Linda, who who knew how uh, how tired I was. By the time I got home, late, late, late Saturday night. It was about 1 o'clock Sunday morning when I got back from San Antonio. And... uh When I got into bed, I knew I would not be long for this world in terms of being awake. I knew I was going to fall asleep, and she knew it as well, and I was out probably within a few minutes. Uh, I think I woke up mm, two times. Uh, I think I woke up twice, but relatively quickly back to sleep, and I woke up at 11 (laughs) a.m. Never sleep that late. I was like, is it really that? Uh, but I've felt a lot better, uh, so it's not too bad. It's it's all right. So anyway, that's it, it's kind of a long answer there, as many of mine are with regard to uh, regimen on things of that. Um, so said <laughs> we uh, need to do a documentary of a week and alive. Now I think it might get a little bit uh, boring there. And to Jeff, yes, I did get rest since <laughs> so I'm going home after hearing your schedule and. Um, I'd Take a nap. Victor said, "I got to call one of the boys' regional finals at Burger Center this weekend." Abbott lost to McMullen County. Uh, that's one A, of course. The Cowboys on the are on the state. The interesting thing about Abbott, they had five cousins playing for them, all the same last name. Yeah, I had to say that name. I know the name you're talking about because I did the, the six man state championship game, and they had a, they had that several of them were cousins on that. Uh, somebody asked, "Whatever happened to Big Country?" Can't remember game, team he played he played for. Oklahoma State. Bryant Big Country Reeves from Gans, Oklahoma. Vancouver Grizzlies as well. Yeah, did he win the? N, yeah, went the NBA and played for the Vancouver Grizzlies before they moved to Memphis. You're exactly right. Uh, for Big Country, he's still in Oklahoma. He's still around. In fact, uh, when Texas played Oklahoma State in women's basketball, it was up there in January. I believe it's Taylor Collins who plays for them. Her dad was a teammate of big country and they're from that same area and uh, still good friends. And uh, her dad and and uh, big country and they stay out there. Uh, somebody said, did you happen to say I'm molested during the basketball game? I didn't ever hear you misspeak. Wanted to make sure I wasn't hearing. I don't. Maybe I did. Maybe I said I'm molested to the to the hoop, I guess. That's a sports term. It doesn't mean quite what others would come to think of it as it means just means nobody nobody guarded him, fouled him, blocked or what if I did say it, that's what it would have been. It's kind of an old school uh term on that. Um somebody said I always remember Bill Melton struggled not to lose his voice when he had several events. Bill Melton, great guy that did the PA for years. Uh I'm N C B on the specs text line uh, was uh, talking about. It. He said Bijan had the same forty times a lot as, as he did at his combine workout uh, in uh, '03, and said Lamarcus Aldridge and Tyrus Thomas ended up getting traded for each other a few months after that. A Lea game, I certainly remember that. A good point, CB. They did as they faced off in that 2006 uh, season. So, and then to the question about the barbecue, because I've had some people had somebody ask about that. Somebody else said, "Joe's Kansas City barbecue burn ends a must try." Uh, CBB experience, mad, bit overrated. It depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if you're going into that into that college basketball experience, expecting to be just blown away like it's the Valhalla, it's not that. It's only about college basketball. It's not the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. It's still a nice visit in there, but it's not. It, it just depends on what you're looking for. I guess you could uh, apply the same philosophy to barbecue. I'm all record as saying this, and I will, and I will stand by this. You, you remember, this is a guy who grew up in North Carolina, so I grew up eating North Carolina pork barbecue. I love all barbecue, and I don't rate Texas brisket versus North Carolina versus Memphis versus Kansas City. I've had them all. I love them all. It's all they're, they're different culinary experiences. That's why I don't rate one state versus the other on stuff. Nothing, absolutely nothing beats Texas brisket and sausage. But I uh, absolutely love it. By the same token, I love burn-ins in Kansas City, as as uh, the texter points out. The burn-ins at Joe's, and I've had them at Joe's, is good. And I've had it at Kate at Gates, and I love um, Arthur Bryant's sandwich, where you get the brisket and the burn-ins on the same sandwich, is good. Q39 I've been to, Jack Stack. I, it, it, if it's a barbecue joint in Kansas City, chances are I've hit it. Uh, so I love all that. It's a different culinary experience. Same thing if you went to Central Barbecue or one of the other uh, famous spots in Memphis. Different, different seasoning, different rubs, uh, things like that, and uh, different sauces. That's great. And the same thing with North Carolina. It's a pork barbecue, and it's a different culinary experience. That's why I don't compare all of those, you could compare them within their own areas and say, hey, do you like Joe's better than, you know, whatever, Jack Stack or Arthur Bryant's or whatever, Uh, or do you like, say, whatever, um, Terry Black's versus, say, Kreitz's or something like that down in Texas, or North Carolina Lexington uh, barbecue versus, you know, some other ones. You can, I think you can compare it within its own area, but crossing the states and crossing the styles and the different kinds of meats. I think that's that's a, a comparison It's kinda of difficult. Uh so somebody has have you eaten City Bark and Barbecue and Luling? absolutely. And it's outstanding. So um it's very very, very good. And somebody else, when did the uh what year did the Longhorns lose to LSU in the NCAA tournament when they had Stromile Swift? That would have been 2,000 in Salt Lake City in the second round uh, turned out to be uh, Chris Mims' final game when they lost. Uh, Texas had beaten Indiana State in the first round, and as soon as that first round game was over, speaking of the travel, I got to the airport and I flew from Salt Lake to Newark, and had the women's uh first round game a heartbreaking loss that was the year Edwina Brown won the college basketball the Wade Trophy as being the best women's player in all of college basketball Texas got beaten in the first round by St. Joseph's that year in Piscataway, New Jersey flew back then flew back the, the next day and was, you know was uh working with Bill Schoening at the time Bill was calling the play by play and was the analyst went back when Texas lost to LSU I believe by 5 something like Seventy-two, sixty-seven, uh, in the second round, and Stromile Swift played for LSU that year. So uh, that's uh, you know that's something there. All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to more of your questions, uh, more of your uh, text on the Specs Text Line because we got more barbecue uh, stuff to talk. Hey, it is after all Big Twelve Conference Tournament Week. We have our Longhorn Notebook coming up. Uh, we're gonna hear from Roddy Terry. We're also gonna hear uh, from uh, Sir Jabari Rice. Who was named the Big Twelve Conference Sixth Man of the Year yesterday? So we're going to hear from those two guys. We'll run down the tournament brackets for you, and uh, and then later on we have uh, inconceivable uh, this hour, uh, more college basketball, more things, and uh, and baseball to discuss and. Uh, Jeff Howe will be able to check in with us once the uh, practice and media availability is done. So all that's still to come here on Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Way, and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. And we'll be checking in with uh, Jeff a little later on this morning following the Sark media availability, following the first spring football practice of this uh, brand-new 2023 calendar year. So we'll get the review on that coming up. Speaking of Longhorns, it now brings us to our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Or Longhorn Notebook in Jeff Howe's absentia. (laughs) It is uh, brought to you by Erin Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Be sure to check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. See if she can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that was to help get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, the person who can make that 10-day home loan approval guarantee a reality. Again, it's Bowersock. Team.com, B O W E R S O C K, Bowersock Team.com. Okay, uh, and, and again, uh, Jeff will give us the, uh, uh, the practice review. There was a media window where he was able to view a little bit of that uh, this morning, and then he'll check in with us uh, a little later on following the Sark media availability to talk about uh, what Sark had to say in the, in the practice uh, review itself. Meanwhile, both the Texas men's and women's basketball teams. Are preparing for the upcoming Big Twelve Conference tournament. Now, it started all, of course, with the uh, with the men uh, taking care of business, followed by the women because the men tipped off like an hour earlier than the men uh, than the women did. The men's uh, tournament schedule is now set after a uh, tremendous performance on Saturday afternoon. And and incidentally, for guys who think that. Kansas had nothing uh, to play for. Uh, I think, uh, first of all, Bill Self would disagree with you and uh, pretty much talked about it in the post-game news conference afterwards that they came full out. They played uh, all their starters. They uh, they wanted to win the game to continue to enhance their seed line. What they were looking for is to try to get to the overall number one seed. Now, there's an interesting take on that in the one of the uh, – Bracketological prognostications, and uh, we'll uh, you know we'll clear up some of those <clears throat> to do that and let you know. But with regard to the men's game itself, they came out, <clears throat> got got the big jump. Kansas had one lead in the game, two nothing. That was it. And uh, the Longhorns had the big jump. And uh, thanks, by the way, to uh, Cam Parker, who put together that highlight montage for us this morning, and <clears throat> uh, got up. They were up eight at the half after Kansas hit a three at the buzzer. There were, I think, three occasions in the second half where the Jayhawks closed to within seven. But that was as close as they could get, and Texas ends up pulling away, and they win it by 16, 75-69. Of course, one of the key weapons in that, Sir Jabari Rice, 23 points, seven rebounds. Uh, Jabari, who would be named Big 12 Conference uh, sixth man of the year yesterday, but uh, had his typical big game coming off the bench for Texas, made some big threes. Loved the one he hit in the corner where he was wide open. They passed it to him. He took his time to take a dribble, stop, eyed it, and nailed it. That was, that was part as well. So we had an opportunity to visit for a moment after the game, after Jabari, on senior day, one of those seniors, along with Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr and Christian Bishop, and Dylan DeSue went through it as well. It, Dylan, by the way, technically has a year of eligibility remaining if he wants to use it, but he is going to be graduating in the spring and hasn't made a decision on whether he come back, but wanted to go through that just in case he wasn't coming back. So uh, Jabari, of course, one of those seniors, and um, a, a very gratifying moment for Rice and for his teammates as we visited after the game. We talked the other night on the radio show about how much you enjoy playing and how much you enjoy playing in this building. It all kind of culminated today, didn't it? For mm-hmm. you and for the team.
2: Yeah, uh, we had a good game today. Uh, it was clicking on both ends of the floor, defense and offense. And we just trusted each other today uh, more than I ever seen. And uh, that's a good thing going into postseason.
1: What was the biggest difference That you guys did in this game as opposed to the last game up in lawrence
2: um i guess uh trying to slow those guys down as far as like fast break because they're a really good fast break team they're really good at getting rebounds offensive rebounding so the focus was just to box out take away the fast break and just be aggressive as far as on offense so we did and i think it was successful tonight
1: the other thing i think that was so important was that Everybody seemed to contribute in one way or another, whether offensively or defensively. You had the biggest scoring afternoon but you found other guys and other guys found you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think like I said, it's go back to trust. I think we trusted each other big time tonight and we just had each other's back when it came to defense and offense. Guys get beat on defense. We got each other back. Come make a play, block shot, charge, things like that. And so I think that willed us to the win.
1: You've had a lot of fun and played in the postseason before. How much are you looking forward to this postseason with this team?
2: Um, I'm looking forward to it uh, big time. Every time I talk about it, I kind of get chills. Uh, I don't want to go home. I'm I'm not done playing for Texas, and so um, we will try to stretch that as far as we can.
1: Yeah, it's a good way to uh, to phrase it. Try to stretch it as far as they can. And again, their their next action will be on Thursday night in the Big Twelve tournament, in the quarterfinals at six o'clock. Here's a couple of numbers uh, to keep in mind about what the Longhorns have done to this point in the season. Before we get to you know the actual Big Twelve bracket itself and the women's side as well, the Longhorns, both the men and women, wound up being uh, twenty three and eight overall. Now Texas went twelve and six in the Big Twelve conference, good enough to finish in second place, sole possession of second, one game back of Kansas Jayhawks, finished thirteen and five. The net ranking, if you're wondering about seed line and things like this, the net ranking, uh, which is one of the you know the big tools that the NCAA tournament selection committee uses to evaluate, is the is their own NCAA net ranking. They're number ten in that net ranking. They're number eight in the Ken Palm rankings, which by the way is the makes them the highest rated Big Twelve team. Even ahead of Kansas, the, the highest rated there. So there's there's different criteria that gives different weight to home wins, road wins, quad one wins, things like that. Uh, by the way, speaking of quad one games, the long are eleven and eight in quad one games this year. That's tied for the second most nationally uh, with wins. Kansas is 15 and 6. In Quad One wins, and Baylor is eleven and nine. Texas eleven and eight in a Quad One uh, record. And as of six o'clock on Saturday night, Texas was one of four schools, and it and and it did hold up, by the way, through the rest of the weekend. Texas is one of four schools to rank in the top twenty. In Ken Palm, that's Ken Pomeroy, that's again one of the big evaluative tools that the NCAA tournament selection committee uses. They are one of four schools to rank in the top twenty in Ken Palm in both adjusted offense and defensive efficiency. Uh, They're sixteenth offense, nineteenth defensively, joined by Houston, Alabama, and UConn in those numbers. So for folks who say I I don't get their offense and their half court game is sitting around, their offensive efficiency. Is uh, has them in the top 20 of that. And uh, the 23 regular season victories, the most regular season wins by Texas in 11, no, 12 years, the 2010-2011 season when they went 25-6. and six. And since the Big 12 moved to an 18-game round-robin schedule that started uh, in the 2011-2012 season, the Longwoods have reached the 12-win mark, For the first time in league play, 12 and 6. They're also 5 and 3 against AP opponents ranked in the top 11 of the country. It wins over number 2 Gonzaga, number 3 Kansas, number 7 Creighton, number 11 Baylor, number 7 K State. They're 7 and 6 against AP top 25 foes. The 7 wins against AP ranked teams are tied for the second most in program history. They went 8 and 5 against AP top 25 teams in 03 04 they went 7 and 4 in the 0-5-0-6 season that we were talking about when they went to the Elite 8 and 7 and 6 in 2021 13 of the Longhorns 23 wins have been by at least 10 points and they posted a scoring margin this year of 10.2 in other words outscoring their opponents nearly uh, 79 to 69 on that in in terms of uh, outscoring the margin um uh, Rodney Terry, in case you're wondering, uh, 16 and seven since taking over the program back in December, including five wins against AP top 25 opponents, and the Longhorns are seven and one under Rodney Terry in games decided by five points or less, or in overtime. And uh, as we know, they had a you know great year in the Moody Center, averaged 10,000. Nine hundred sixty-five. The capacity is ten seven six three. But if you counted the standees, the students in the standing room only in the upper corral way up there in the rafters, that those standing room uh, tickets were also counted in. So they averaged ten thousand nine hundred sixty-five fans this year. They went sixteen and one in the seventeen games. Six and zero against AP top twenty-five opponents in games at Moody Center, uh, including three and zero against top ten opponents by beating Gonzaga, Kansas, and Creighton. So. Uh, there it is. There's some uh, some other notes about Texas as they get ready to head into the postseason. Now, for the Big 12 Conference Tournament, uh, as I mentioned, the Longhorns will play on Thursday, and uh, they'll play Thursday evening at 6 o'clock. And uh, that will be against the winner of basically what will be Bedlam. Uh, it'll be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and the tournament itself Starts up on uh, Wednesday. Oh, by the way, the one other thing I wanted to get to uh, before uh, before getting uh, to the tournament. Uh, three Longhorns uh, received All-Big 12 Men's Basketball Awards. Marcus Carr, uh, All-Big 12 First Team, becoming the first Longhorn player to be a First-Team All-Big 12 player since Isaiah Taylor did that seven years ago, 2015-2016. Sir Jabari Rice, the six-man award, he joined Kai Jones, who did it two years ago as the only Texas players to claim the honor. Uh, Rice was also, by the way, named to uh, third-team All-Big 12 and the five-person Big 12 All-Newcomer team. Timmy Allen selected honorable mention, and as I mentioned, Marcus Carr, uh, number one. Uh, or at least uh, first team All Big Twelve. The Big Twelve Conference Player of the Year you might have mentioned, uh, might have imagined was uh, Jalen Wilson, and the Coach of the Year Jerome Tang of Kansas State. I know some folks thought Ronnie Terry uh, was should have gotten the award, certainly deserving of it. But I think Jerome Tang uh, and Ronnie would tell you this as well, certainly deserving as well what he did because uh, that team was picked, I think, to finish ninth in the league in the preseason poll. And uh, actually, looking at one of them here, it says it's they were picked last, uh, and of course, it was his first head coaching job. They went eleven and seven. The league they're twenty three and eight. His uh, first season, that twenty three and eight record, the uh, best by any first year head coach in NCAA Division one, and the second best in Kansas State history. So he did a heck of a job, and um, and uh, it was it was impressive to see. Uh, to see what they did. And the rest of the um, All-Big 12 awards on the uh, first team, for that first team All-Big 12, Adam Flagler of Baylor, Jalen Wilson of Kansas, Keontae Johnson of Kansas State, Marquise Noel of Kansas State, and Marcus Carr with uh, Jalen Wilson being named Player of the Year. Second team, Keontae George of Baylor, Gabe Kalsher of Iowa State, Grady Dick of Kansas, Damian Ball, TCU, and Mike Miles, Jr., of TCU. And on the third team, L.J. Cryer of Baylor, Kevin McCuller of Kansas, Caleb Boone of Oklahoma State, Eric Stevenson of West Virginia, and Serge Jabari Rice of uh, Texas. Honorable mention, uh, Jaron Holmes of Iowa State, Oshun Oshuni from Iowa State, K.J. Adams, who, by the way, was named the most improved player of the year in the Big 12, the Westlake product, KJ Adams of Kansas, Dewan Harris of Kansas, Jalen Hill of Oklahoma, Grant Sherfield of Oklahoma, uh, Emmanuel Miller of TCU, Timmy Allen of Texas, Davion Harmon of Texas Tech, and Kevin O'Banner of Texas Tech, also named uh, honorable mention, all Big 12. All Big 12 defensive team, Gabe Kalsher of Iowa State, Dewan Harris of Kansas. Kevin McCuller of Kansas, Marquise Noel of K-State, and Musa Sise of Oklahoma State. The all-newcomer team, Keontae George Baylor, Jaron Holmes of Iowa State, Grady Dick of Kansas, Keontae Johnson of Kansas State, and Serge Jabari Rice of Texas, and the all-freshman team, Keontae George Baylor, Taman Lipsy of Iowa State, Grady Dick of Kansas, um, also Milas Uzan of Oklahoma, and Pop Isaacs of Texas Tech. So um, that's the... Uh, that's, uh, that's where that is now the big 12 conference tournament, the, uh, it begins with West Virginia against Texas tech at six o'clock on Wednesday night. And that's in that eight, nine play in game. So, uh, that's the first game. And then, uh, Oklahoma state and Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, the seven seed, Oklahoma, the 10 seed, uh, that will be at eight thirty in the, uh, Quarterfinals. It'll start eleven thirty Thursday morning. Baylor and Iowa State, and that's your four versus five matchup at two o'clock. Kansas to get the winner of that West Virginia Texas Tech Wednesday night matchup at six o'clock. Or Kansas will play that. Uh, West Virginia, Texas Tech winner. Six o'clock Thursday night. Texas, the two seed, against the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State contest. And then at eight thirty, it's Kansas State and TCU. Semifinals will be at six and eight thirty on Friday, and the championship game will be at five o'clock on Saturday uh, afternoon. So that's on the men's side. On the women's side, with uh, and they have not announced the uh, the uh, awards yet. That'll come out this afternoon. I would imagine you'll have see several Longhorns involved. Rory Harmon, I think, stands a decent shot to be the Big 12 Player of the Year. Vic Schaefer, I think, has a decent shot, along with Jenny Baranchik of Oklahoma, to be the Big 12 Coach of the Year. Uh, so we'll we'll find that out later today, and we'll talk about it tonight on Longhorn Weekly when we have. Uh, that final seasonal special edition, women's basketball edition of one Weekly with Vic Schaefer out at Pluckers. Shaylee Gonzalez is going to join us out there from the team. And we're going to hear from um, the coach's daughter who's on the staff, Blair Schaefer. It's always an interesting conversation. So we're going to hear from them. That's at 6.30 tonight, and that's at Pluckers, the West Campus location. Twenty-two, twenty-two Rio Grande. If you can't make it out there, you can hear it on one hundred five three. The Bat, station, obviously for Texas women's athletics, women's basketball and softball. Uh, one hundred five three, the Bat, at six thirty. But the uh, but the women's uh, basketball uh, tournament gets underway on Friday, and well, actually, it actually begins on Thursday. So they will begin on Thursday uh, with the play-in games and uh, those uh, play-in games on Thursday, and that will have a direct effect on who the Longhorns play as well because on Thursday uh, at uh, the old downtown arena at Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City, the first game of the day will be at 5 o'clock. That's the 8 versus 9, Texas Tech against Kansas State. The winner of that is going to get Texas at one thirty in the afternoon. The other game that takes place, Uh, On Thursday evening, the 7-seed Kansas against the 10 seed TCU. And then the women's quarterfinals begin Friday morning at 11 with uh, Oklahoma State, uh, the 4-seed against the 5-seed West Virginia. Then you have Texas at 1-30 uh, taking on the winner of that Texas Tech-Kansas State game. In the evening session, it's the 2-seed Oklahoma against the winner of that 7-versus-10 matchup, Kansas and TCU. And then the night game will be the 3-seed Iowa State and the 6-seed Baylor playing at so there's your rundown on the Big 12 men's and women's basketball tournament. The all Big 12 teams and the honor teams as well. Coming up, we'll have Inconceivable before we glide on into hour number two. Here with Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, a.m. 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.
2: Light the Tower. Inconceivable.
0: Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: There are things that, going through the weekend, you might find as inconceivable. And that's why we jump into it here. Um, There's a couple of things to let you know. First of all, if you're a fan of the Royals, and I don't mean the Kansas City Royals. I'm talking about the Royal Family of England. uh, They're getting ready for the coronation, as you know, of, of King Charles III. So uh, a couple of items have come out. A the king did invite uh, Prince Harry and Meghan to the wedding. No, no word as if they're coming out. But um, if you saw, well, first of off, you saw it live. I salute you because you're getting up there in age. But if you, but even if you've just seen the old film of it or through television or whatever, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth back in 1952. You saw her, you know, the long stately procession and all that, and then she winds up in this chair. Well, the chair isn't used beyond that. They're going to use it again. Uh, it, it needs a little work. It's known as the coronation chair. And the reason why it needs a little work, the chair is over 700 years old. Uh, it's uh, been used as the centerpiece of, of English coronations for centuries, including those of Henry VIII, uh, Charles I, Queen Victoria, and the late Queen Elizabeth II. Of course, Westminster Abbey is where the ceremony will take place. It describes the chair as one of the most precious and famous pieces of furniture in the world and says it's in remarkable condition given its age. Nevertheless, it has still to go undergo some conservation work ahead of the ceremony to crown the king and also the queen consort. Uh, the it's an oak chair believed to have been crafted in about the year 1300, according to a statement from the Abbey, which associates the coronations of 39 monarchs since 1066. It was commissioned by Edward the uh, first to house the Stone of Scone. That sounds like something you'd get at Starbucks. I'll have uh, a hazelnut latte grande and a stone of scone. But uh, it's also known as the Stone of Destiny, which he captured in uh, 1296 along with the Scottish crown and the scepter. The stone had been used as a seat in the coronation of Scottish kings for centuries. It's now kept in Scotland but reunited with the chair for British coronation. So uh, they're they're working it together to get that uh, chair ready. For the Royal Coronation Day on, on May 6th on that. Okay. Uh, Jack, are you a fan of Girl Scout cookies? Oh, yeah.
0: Really? I think it's a travesty that that is a seasonal item.
1: Yeah. You think it should be more than just February, you know, yeah, end of March? Th- buy them all year round. They could make money. If you think that's a travesty, why do you hear this? They had a new flavor this year. Did you try the new flavor, the one that's the called the Raspberry Rally? That's, I did not. It's a chocolate-covered cookie, and it's raspberry, uh, crunchy filling in it. It was incredibly popular. Uh, it's kind of a raspberry-flavored version of the Thin Mint. Okay? So it was always supposed to be a limited edition item. Well, the, the cookie sold out, the box is sold out in a few hours. So now there are a lot of people that are really, really wanting it. So they've gone to eBay where they can find it a box of them for 30 bucks. <laughs> In an email addressed to a New York chapter of the Girl Scouts, local leader said that, quote, the Raspberry Rally cookie sold out less than a day, proved to be more popular than anticipated, and the uh, Girl Scouts said they were disappointed to find that the Products are now available through other vendors. When cookies are purchased through a third-party seller, Girl Scout troops are deprived of proceeds that fund critical programming throughout the year. Plus, unauthorized sales can erode the Girl Scout good cookie name. So um, if you really want them that bad, you can find them all on eBay, but it's going to cost you a little bit. Um, Another thing, how are you with uh, chocolate, uh, chocolate candy? Do you like chocolate? I'll take chocolate. Okay. You ever eat a Toblerone? You know, the big, long candy bar, the the Swiss one? The big triangle? I have not. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, They may have to undergo a change because on their package, if you look at it, it has like this Swiss Alp peak there because it's Swiss. But they're being ordered to drop the image of the Matterhorn because the parent company, Mondelez, is moving some of the Toblerone production to, wait for it, Slovakia. Well, Switzerland has laws regulating the use of national symbols and products claiming to be Swiss-made. And six years after that disastrous modification to the shape of their candy bars, Toblerone set to make yet another change. This time they're looking to drop the iconic image of the Matterhorn because it doesn't meet, according to the government, Switzerland's legal definition of Swissness, according to Argaro Zeitung, a Swiss media outlet that first reported the news on Friday. So Swissness is protecting Swissness, and it came into force, which requires any food item marketing itself as being made in Switzerland to source 80% of its raw ingredients from the country. And apparently that's not going to be the case there. So, um, yeah, Toblerone. Won't have the Matterhorn on the uh, package. Finally, um, we've had another uh, another uh, example of somebody trying to take an animal through a carry-on bag at a TSA in the airport. Norfolk, Virginia, TSA security checkpoints. They run a bag through and they said, that's an animal in there. It looks like a cat. And it was. A live cat. Uh, the TSA tweeted out that uh, just when you thought it was safe to bring your pet cat on a trip, a traveler left their pet cat in the travel bag. Attention pet owners, please do not send your pet through the x-ray unit. cat mistake. Said it was a bad deal. They said it was, it was a case where a passenger traveling with the pet. They knew the pet was in a carry-on bag because it was a pet travel container. It appears that the individual either did not know how to remove the pet from the travel case, or forgot to do so. And then they have to go back to the start of the line again. So said, take the cat out, walk through TSA with the cat, then put the cat back in there. Um, so they said, yeah, they have to do that also. Cats tend to be more skittish than dogs, and they might wriggle, scratch, bite, and jump down and try to run away. You don't need a cat running through the airport. That would not be good. All right, hour number two, light the tower. Jeff Howell joins us, little recap of spring ball, and Sark's first spring football media availability is next here on the Horn.